2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse, we'll start reading at verse 8 in just a little bit. And if you um, uh, are using an electronic version of the Bible and you can select what version you're uh, reading from, I'll be reading from the New King James Version and uh, that might be easier for you to be able to follow along. Now, I've been a, I've been a, this won't be hard for you to believe, but I've been a church pastor for 35 years, and, um, and I have never done what I'm about to do in all those years. I've never taught on the gospel from this vantage point. Some of you have probably figured out by now that we are a four-square church. It's, in our, it's, in your, it's on your bulletin, Crossroads Four Square Church, on the sign outside. And you may have been wondering, well, what in the world is that? Like a guy who called me one time, you know, just cold calling the church to find out what was going on. He calls me and he says, he says, what kind of church are you? Now, when somebody asks that question, and some of you have had that question asked of you because you attend this church, they'll say, well, what kind of church do you go to, right? You've had that question asked? And you never know exactly what they want to know because... That an, that the answers to that question are myriad. But I just gave him what I thought he was after, which I, I, you know, a lot of times what people want to know is what denomination you're part of, you know. So I said, well, this is a four-square church. He goes, what? And I said, this is a four-square church. What are you saying? I said, this is a four-square church. He goes, Forced air church? You know, he was thinking like the heating and air conditioning system or something. And finally, I think got him straightened out. But you may have been wondering what in the world a four-square church is. And this really, this series of messages that we launched today is, has very little to do with that. But it has to do with the gospel. That's what it has to do with. The gospel that we preach. And... So if you'll hang with me this morning, I'm going to kind of set the stage. Then we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. And we're going to be talking about Jesus, our Savior. But first, let's talk a little bit. Let me get, actually, first, let me just give you this one disclaimer. On the screen here, in great big old letters, it says four square gospel. Let me tell you that this is not some other gospel. This is not some different gospel. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Galatia, and he said, As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received... Let him be accursed. Look, I don't want to be accursed. So I'm not going to be up here talking to you about any other gospel except the one that is clearly and profoundly declared in the word of God. So let's just uh, make sure that that's clear. But now let's talk a little bit about church labels because people want to know what kind of church you're part of. You want to know what kind of church you're part of. And there's all kinds of descriptive terms that are used of churches. And the problem is that people mean different things by those, those words. So <clears throat> I'm going to give you some definitions for how we use those terms and how they apply to us. And um, it's going to go by fairly quickly. I don't expect you to take notes, but just kind of get dialed in with me a little bit about what we mean about these things. You with me so far? We are a Christian church. What does that mean? Well, it means we believe that Jesus is the only Son of God and the only door to salvation. 
Another term that would apply to us is Protestant. We are a Protestant church. What does that mean? Well, we are Christian, but not Catholic. doesn't mean we have a fight to pick with our Catholic brethren. It just means that there's a distinction there. So we are Christian, but not Catholic. Catholics can be Christians, but uh, you get the picture. Another term that applies to us is that we are evangelical. Now, you've, how many of you heard that term before, evangelical? Sometimes we hear about it in political campaigns as they talk about the evangelicals as, some, as though we were some sort of voting block or something. Um, so I don't know what they mean by it. Evangelical simply comes from the word evangel, which means gospel so, or good news. So we believe that a right relationship with God is on the basis of faith in the forgiveness he has provided through Jesus. And that this gospel or good news should be proclaimed to all. Usually when people identify themselves as evangelical, that means they're a part of the church that is not content just to, you know, have us four and no more. You know, we, we want to spread this good news. It's so impacted our lives that we are evangelizing. We are evangelical. So that's what that means about us. Another term that applies to us, and before I put it on the screen, I wanted to say that I know that these days this word is most often used in a negative fashion, but I want you to hold on for a minute till I explain what we mean by it, because it's very, very important to who we are. We are fundamentalist. We are fundamentalists. What we mean by that is that we believe the Bible is the infallible word of God and that it should be believed personally and obeyed simply. That's what we mean by it. Other people mean other things by that term. And other groups of people are referred to as fundamentalists. But that's what we mean. And that's who, part of who we are. Another term that would apply to our church uh, is that we are Pentecostal. And I know that that's another term that often is used of people who are engaged in excessive and weird behaviors. I, I think you know me well enough, even if, you've, even if we've only met today, to know that I'm not, well, maybe I am a little weird, but not extremely so, you know. <laughs> I haven't been up here barking like a dog or rolling around on the floor, you know, the weird thing that people do and blame God for. Uh, Handling, there are no snakes up here, okay? <laughs> but we are Pentecostal, and what we mean by that is that we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, let me, let me before I finish this written, uh, this thing I've written here about the definition, let me say that Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. God set this in motion uh, under the Mosaic Law. It was 50 days after Passover, and it was on that day, after Jesus was crucified, 50 days after, because he was crucified over Passover, 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, in the city of Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early believers, and the church was born. So when we talk about Pentecostal, that's what we're referring to. And, and when we use it of us, we mean that we believe that the power of the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church at its birth on the day of Pentecost is available to believers today in the same way and to the same degree. There are portions of the Christian church, the evangelical Christian church, that would not say that they are Pentecostal when uh, defined that way because they believe that the 
the kinds of powerful, miraculous demonstrations of God's moving among his people that we read about in the book of Acts ended with the close of the book of Acts. And that our expectation should not be that those same kinds of uh, power workings of the Holy Spirit would be our experience today. We believe it should be. Does that make sense? Okay. And then that brings us to the term four square. If you look that up in a dictionary, you're going to see that it means consisting of four corners uh, or, and, four, and four right angles, which actually just means that it's balanced on every side. And one of the things about our uh, calling ourselves four square or identifying ourselves as four square is that we believe that it's godly to be balanced and orderly, that we don't uh, overemphasize or underemphasize, we don't move to the extremes, that we are balanced according to our understanding of the Word of God. Does that make sense? It also says in the dictionary that if you looked up the word foursquare, it means balanced. I already said that. Firm, steady, unswerving. Those are things we want to be true of us when it comes to how we handle the word of God and forthright or frank. Those things, uh, there's nothing in those, any of those things I said that wouldn't be uh, something you'd want to be true of you. And it is true of us. Now the term foursquare is not a term you ever hear in normal conversation anymore. It, ha it was used um, all the time in the early, earlier uh, well, the early part of the, of the 20th century, in the 1900s, early 1900s. But it's gone out of, out of use. Uh, and um, so that's why it's a little foreign to us. But that's what it means. But it also, for us, is our global family of churches, the, the connection we have to ministries around the world. And by the way, you know, I'm a part of the Bolt family. I don't know what family you're a part of. Maybe you're not real happy about the family you're a part of. But you're a part of one. We're all part of the human family, and yet we all have our own family uh, names that we carry. And there's distinctions about how families uh, move through life. We are all part of the body of Christ. And I know sometimes people get off on this thing. Well, there ought to be only one church then. All these denominations, that's, that must be, you know, uh, unscriptural and... Uh, you know, look, we're all part of the body of Christ, but I believe that in the diversity and the creativity of God, that is his design that we be broken up into smaller families because not one church, not one group uh, is, would be able to reach every person. There's so many different kinds of people and so many different kinds of, of creative ways about uh, ministry that... I think God loves the diversity. Just walk down the street, see all the diversity in his creation, and you say, well, okay, I get it. And so anyway, this is part of the family that we belong to. And our common union, the thing that we have come to fellowship and build this family around, is our understanding that the gospel, by, by that term I mean good news, that we believe the good news is that Jesus is Savior, He is Healer, He is Baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and He is the coming King. And we believe that a declaration of the full gospel, the whole shebang, <laughs> includes 
that all of these things are true about, our, about Jesus Christ, that he is the Savior, healer, baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and coming king. So it's a little bit of a play on words, four square, the four aspects of the gospel. Got it? All right. Now, with that um, having been said, I need to take you through some things that some of you may consider to be rather basic. But it's important to our understanding of a scripture that we're going to read right now in, in 2 Timothy chapter 8. So let's read it, and then I'll take you through those basic things. And then we're going to talk about three other things, and you're going to go home. All right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Did I say it wrong? Oh, okay. Not unusual, right? <laughs> I eventually get us there. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The testimony of our Lord is, is that God has done some powerful things in my life. Don't you ever be ashamed to declare that. Nor of me, his prisoner. Now, Paul says that because he's in prison when he's writing this, and he understands that some people might take offense to the fact that this, this one who has been so instrumental in bringing them the, the gospel is now under arrest. He says, don't, don't be ashamed of that either, uh, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us. Now, the word saved or savior, wherever you encounter it in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it means rescuer, restorer. How many of you? Well, you don't even need to raise your hand on this. I know every single one of us, 100% of us, have needed rescue. We are all sinners, the Bible says, cut off from the life of God. Jesus is our rescuer. He's our savior. So it says here, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I don't think most of you in the room have really believed that yet. I know I struggle with it. But it says right here that you, dear one, have been called, uniquely called by God. That means, you know, when he was... This is crazy to say it this way, but he, when he was going through the checkout line, he didn't pick you up as an impulse buy. He went there for you. He called you. Um, and it says that he did so uh, not according to our works. In other words, I haven't, and you agree with me, there's nothing any of us have ever done to earn that favor but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, get this, in Christ before time began, before the clock started ticking, God already had you in mind. That'll blow your circuits. Just sit on that one for a while. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our who? Savior, Jesus Christ who was abolished, excuse me, who has done these three things, abolished death and brought life to light and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to finish up this morning talking about those three things, that Jesus, our Savior, has come to abolish death, bring life to light, and bring immortality to light. To which I was appointed, Paul speaking, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher 
of the Gentiles. Now, here's the stuff that I said I need to walk you through that may seem a little basic, but man, it is profound, and I hope you never get tired of hearing it. Let's talk about the fact that you are a three-part being. These scripture references on the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and Hebrews 4.12, talk about that. You don't need to look them up right now. What this means is when God made you, he made you three parts that begins with a spirit. You, first and foremost, are a spirit being, an eternal spirit being. That's the real you. And that's the part of you that was designed, created for God consciousness. That part of you was created for a relationship with God forever. That's the eternal you. You have, you are a spirit. You have a soul. That's your soul is the part of you created for self-consciousness. That's the part of you that's self-aware. Sentience is sometimes the terms that's used. I'm a big Star Wars fan, as you know it. And we, in Star Wars, we talk about sentient beings. <laughs> That's the part of you that knows you, that's self-aware. That's your intellect, your emotions, and your will. The part of you that feels, the part of you that chooses, the part of you that thinks. That's your soul. So you are a spirit, you have a soul, and all that is clothed in a body. And the, your body was created for world consciousness. That's the part of you that interacts with the world around you. Your physical systems, your uh, senses. So this is a, I mean, a very uh, humble, very simplistic, very generalized picture of how God puts you together, but it's important to understand. The Bible in the beginning says that God took a hunk of dirt and breathed into that uh, uh, lifeless stuff, his life, and it says that man became a living being. The breath of God poured into lifeless dirt, created a living being. And distinct from every other kind of living thing, God had already created the plants and animals, but the kind of life they had was not the same. God imparted his kind of life into Adam, and he became a living being. His spirit came to life. And radiating out from that life that God had poured into him, it began to in, uh, affect and change and order the way that he, uh, his soul life, the way that he thinks about, thought about things, the way he emoted about things, the kinds of choices that he made, all informed by the fact that he was a spiritual being alive unto God. And that uh, actually impacted his uh, physical life as well. He was meant to live forever. Glorious picture right there of how God intended things to be, but we all know there was a problem. It's called sin. It cut us off from the life of God. When mankind rebelled against God, it's like we pulled the plug on our lifeline, and that brought death. You know, God said to Adam and Eve, He said, Look, here's two trees tree of life, tree of life. What's not to desire about that? Here's another one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To this point, Adam and Eve had only known good. The world was only good. Every step of creation, God declared, this is good. This is good. It's only good. And so that we were not, our relationship was, with God was not simply based on something we had to be, but was by choice, God gave us a choice. 
And he said, all right, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because the day you do, you'll die. And Adam and Eve, you know the story they did, and all of us have reaped the consequences of that. They didn't stop breathing that day. They didn't stop thinking that day. They didn't stop emoting that day, but they stopped living that day. Who they really are stopped being. And that death at the core of who uh, we are as human beings radiates out. It begins to affect how we think, things we think about, the way that our emotional life uh, is, is conducted. And and the kind of choices that we make, and eventually they're going to stick you in a hole in the ground because your body's going to die too. Hallelujah, the story does not end there because there's a Savior. And Jesus went to the cross on my behalf and yours to pay the penalty for our sins so that the life of God could be restored to us. So that... That life could begin to radiate out from my spirit. When I'm reborn and my spirit comes to life, that that life could then radiate, radiate out from there and transform the way that I think, the way that I feel, and the choices that I make. And ultimately, that the Bible says, believe this or not. Well, you better believe it. It's in the Bible. I shouldn't have said it that way. The Bible says that there's actually going to come a resurrection of our bodies. The life of God is so powerful that it's actually going to be going to transform our physicality Um, so this is a way of describing the good news in terms of our savior now we're going to go back to the passage we read earlier where it says that our savior did three things jesus as savior did three things he abolished death, verse 10, chapter 1, 2 Timothy, he abolished death, brought life to light, and brought immortality to light. Let's just finish up today talking about those three things. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that means that you and I, we are flesh and blood, and because that's so, he himself, Jesus, our Savior, likewise shared in the same. That means he came, took on human flesh, flesh and blood. That through his death, through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, the devil, Satan, That is the devil, it says. So he, Jesus, took on human flesh so that he could destroy death, the power of death over me. And when it says here in 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, that Jesus, our Savior, abolished death, it's a very, very strong word. He obliterated, he destroyed, he consumed death. It can no longer affect me. Or you, if we've come to faith in Christ, death no longer has a hold on me. Thank God. Thank God. Then it goes on to say that he brought life to light. The word life there is the word, the Greek word zoe. Z-O-E is how we would transliterate it into English. 
There's another Greek word that we would translate as life sometimes, and in the Bible it's translated this way sometimes. It's vios, B-I-O-S. You can imagine what, what English word we, or what, how we use that word in English, biology. Another ways of talking about a different kind of life. Life where, you know, the blood's pumping, my, my body's functioning, you know, there's, there's physical life. But zoe is the life of God, the kind of life that God has. In fact, it literally means life to the uttermost, life in the absolute sense. In John 10, 10, that says the thief doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, and the word more there means super, that they might have it super abundantly. In, in other words, God wants for us to have what Adam had. He wants to restore to each one of us the life of God, bring to life our spirit. So when it says our Savior is the one who took death out of the way, paid the penalty for my sin, it's gone. And that he brought life to light for me. That I, I, I can know the life of God. That's what we say when we say Jesus is my Savior. That's what we're saying. We're saying a mouthful. We're saying Jesus is my Savior. That's what we're saying. And then finally it says that he brought immortality to light. That word immortality, um, I'm told, I'm no Greek scholar, but I'm told that it really probably should have been translated incorruptibility. So he brought incorruptibility to light. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think you would understand what corruption is, right? Corrosion, destruction, devastation. Those words all describe what our lives, how our lives are, are impacted and changed by sin, right? I mean, we all know. It's like somebody, it's like we turn, it's like the devil turned vandals loose. We actually are the responsible for it, but we turned vandals loose in our lives and they've covered everything with graffiti and trash. And, you know, that's the state of our lives corruption. But the term that's used here when it says, he brought incorruption to light, it's, it's the reverse of that. He brought uh, the reversing of corruption to pass in my life. He's brought that to light. God is at work turning things around in me. The life that has taken hold, the life of God that has taken hold of my, in my spirit when I receive Christ as my Savior is beginning to radiate out and impact every part of me and corruption is being overturned. It also, that word that's translated here as immortality and should probably have been translated incorruptibility also means genuineness. That means that God is at work in your life if you've come to him by faith in bringing about the restoration of the genuine you, the one he made you to be, not the one that your sin has left in its wake. Now that's the gospel. Actually, only part of the gospel because Jesus is not only our savior, He's our healer. He's our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's our coming king. We're going to talk about those things over the next few weeks.
This is recording number 11130 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 9, 2014. This is the first message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, Foursquare Gospel. This message is titled, Savior. <laughs> 